Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are back with another episode of the Bash Mania podcast. Today, two-time NCAA champion, three-time NCAA finalist, and assistant coach at Cornell, Gabe Dean joins the show. Gabe's got a lot of great stories and he has a lot of knowledge, so I'm really excited to have him on the podcast today. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's roll the intro and chat with Gabe. It's Bashomania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashomania runs wild? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. All right, we've got Gabe Dean, who for the last 24 hours, I don't know why, but when I say your name, it feels like it should be Gabe Dean, Destroyer of Worlds. I don't know <laughs> like where I heard that, but that just seems to fit. And the more I was looking through your career... Man, like we were talking because in the Cornell bio, it's like a New York State four-time champ. I'm like, what? What is that thing? Can you explain that real quick? So the New York State Championships is like a college open for only New York colleges. So anywhere okay. between Division One and Division Three colleges can come to the open in the state of New York. And so we call it the New York State Tournament. It's not obviously. I'm from Michigan. I'm not. You right. know, not yeah, it's like it's not a. It's not like actual like high school state tournament. Um, it's for like all the colleges in the New York State from Division One through Division Three. Because I had texted him like, "Is the bio wrong?" Because I I know sometimes some of these bios get an error, or something happens. But you know, yeah. on a more serious note, you know, I want to talk to you about your career and. I didn't realize when I was starting to look into things that your dad was actually an NCAA D1 runner-up. Yeah, yeah. My dad, um, you know, he was at Minnesota when Jay Robinson brought his whole crew in. Um, Jay brought Jimmy Zaleski in, who was a three-time national champ from Iowa. Yep. Minnesota was really pretty bad. Uh, one of the worst teams in the Big Ten when my dad was there his first couple years. And then Jay brought his crew in and... Um, you know, ended up making the national. My dad was one of the probably one of the worst wrestlers in the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> and after a year with Jay uh, and uh, Jimmy, he um, he was in the national final. So, testament to their coaching. So, did you kind of know early on in your life between you and your brother that like wrestling was going to be such a huge part of it? Not for me. Uh, you know, my brother always wanted to be a college wrestler, like from day one. Yeah. Uh, Max has been like all about it. Uh, loved it. Uh, it took me a while. I, I was more into football growing up, and I thought I was going to be the next Brett Favre. The only problem <laughs> is I'm five ten, and you know, a hundred and. Uh, but yeah, I saw the stat that you had like sixty touchdowns or something in high school. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I was I was a pretty I was a pretty good uh, high school football player, better high school football player than I was a high school wrestler. Uh, um, you know, I was. Which uh, says a lot because you were a state champ and a and a, a runner up. Yeah, I was, you know, in wrestling, it just took me longer. I mean, it took me longer to develop. I, um, I, I didn't even, you know, I went to the state tournament 
my freshman year, I went 0-2. Um, and in and, and football, though, I always just, like, naturally had success. Uh, I started on varsity as a sophomore. We won a state championship that year as a team. Um, and, I, you know, I went on, and we were in the finals the next two years as a team. As you know, So I, I just, like, I always had more success in football. So w- what is a kid? He has more success in one sport. He wants to play that sport probably, right? I'm just a yeah. young – I was a young 15-, 16-year-old kid. But then, you know, I had a bad – recruiting experience in football and I kind of realized that in wrestling you're kind of in control of your own destiny at the end of the day and you're accountable for everything that happens to you and in football you kind of have to rely on some forces to put you in the right place at the right time yeah and uh it's just more of a political sport than anything yeah uh so I just I just you know I decided to go to the wrestling route that, and that's how I started to kind of fall in love with wrestling. But when I was growing up, man, I tried to quit wrestling all the time. I, my dad, I'd walk <laughs> in after, you know, dad, I'm done. I'm going to focus on football. And, you know, credit to my dad. He was always just like, okay, you know, no problem. And then sure enough, you know, I was manipulated back into the sport. <laughs> Did you so, take into account, like, how big a career can be in football versus wrestling? Like, it's obviously different worlds where you can be an Olympic champion. You can be a D1 coach. There's so many different avenues to take within wrestling. But compared to football, I know a lot of kids when they're young that want to be NFL players, it's because they're watching football on Sundays. They see the platform yeah. that playing football gives you. Did you weigh that up at all, like the different platforms that wrestling well, would give you versus football? You know, like I just – I loved the big crowds for football. You know, I loved like – you know, when I was growing up, my high school football – you know, I grew up in like a Friday Night Lights town. we come out and play. We – we had eight, nine, ten thousand people there on an average night, you know, like in a high school. That's that's incredible experience for, you know, a kid. So, you know, the biggest game I ever played in, you know, there's there's fourteen, fifteen thousand people there. Wow. And um, you know, when you're a high school kid and you're playing in front of those kinds of crowds and you're just like you know, you, you know, in football is a, like such a fun team sport, you know, you're just you know, you, you get kind of attracted to that. And then, you know, yeah, like you said, I, I love college football. I love NFL football. Yeah. On my weekends in high school, I'd be watching those games. You know, I'd be – I'm a big Michigan State fan. My dad coached there for 13 years. So I grew up – you know, I, I was born in East Lansing, actually. And I uh, – so I was – you know, I always have Michigan State football on on Saturdays. And um, then on NFL, I, I couldn't watch the Lions. They just they, – they just got <laughs> crazy. So I would just be watching games. You know, I didn't really have a team. No, I yep. respected certain players and enjoyed watching them, so I'd watch them. But – yeah, just I, I didn't have the serious passion for wrestling yet uh, as I did for football. And the career that you can have in football obviously is substantial. But you know, I was never going to make it to the NFL. I just don't have the body type. I don't have the athletic ability. And that you know, these guys are freaks. They're you know over way over six feet tall, run four three forties, and you can jump you know out of a gym. So I just, I just didn't have the, uh, you know, it became clear. As I wasn't going to be, you know, taller than five ten and run a four four forty, you know. Right. So I just uh, it kind of became clear, like, hey, like if I really wanted to make it to a big stage in college athletics, it wasn't going to be in football. I wasn't going to be the next Cam Newton or you know these these guys that make it to that national championship game. And I wanted to be the national champion, so yeah. uh, wrestling was the avenue for me. And what led you to Cornell for your wrestling career in college? Well, so I wasn't highly recruited as a wrestler coming out of high school because I was barely nationally ranked in my own weight class. And, you know, in the pound for pound rankings, I don't even think I was in those. Um, sure. Cause I was a one-time state champ. Yeah. I lost to a guy that 
went on full scholarship, well, close to a full scholarship to the University of Michigan in the finals my senior year. Um, so I didn't even win a state championship my senior year. Um, and actually, the way that I got to Cornell was I was wrestling at Flow Nationals um, against Morgan McIntosh. Yep. And he was just, you know, he's beating the hell out of me like he did to everybody in high school. I mean, the guy was a freak. And um, he didn't look any different in college than he did in high school. <laughs> yeah. Like he. Like, you know, and I remember warming up and I, I definitely went through a lot of changes between that, you know, that time and then yeah. when I got into college. So, like, I'm warming up and I see this guy. He looks like, you know, this just I mean, he's just fully developed. A you man's know, he's got man. Hair. <laughs> just like, and I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, this guy is going to kill me. Like, you know, like, that's what's going through my head when I'm like walking out there. And uh, I ended up slipping a takedown, like completely got lucky. I think I, I hit him in like a slide by and his hands like briefly touched the mat for like three seconds. And then the ref gave me a takedown and uh, Damian Hahn and Rob Cole were in the stands and nobody had taken Morgan McIntosh down. Like, like he didn't ever get taken down. So sure. like they were like, whoa. Like, and I proceeded to get like majored or teched. I can't remember. But like at the same time, they were like, oh, like he who, that, take who that? that took Morgan, took Morgan <laughs> McIntosh down, you know? So that's exactly how like I got on their radar. And then my dad was, my dad's very networked in the wrestling world. And he runs, you know, New Way, which is a big youth wrestling organization. And um, he was down at a coaches convention, the, the national coaches convention. And uh, he bumped into Rob Cole, and they competed at the same time. Rob was competing for okay. North Carolina, and my dad was wrestling for Minnesota, and they actually were both in the national finals the same year. Uh, Rob won a national title. My dad took second. And um, they bumped into each other, and, you know, everybody was under the impression that I was still going to play football in college. And, uh, my, you know, I just made my decision to wrestle, and Rob was like, so where's your son going to play football? You know, we saw him at Flow Nationals, and, you know, he's, he's, he's got, like, a really raw talent. Yeah. He just doesn't know how to wrestle yet. And my dad's like – I actually just decided to wrestle and Rob and Damien, you know, they, they got right on me and started recruiting me. And I was, you know, I was just not the other schools, you know, I had some schools visit me, Minnesota, Michigan, Michigan state, um, you know, Penn, Bucknell, uh, central Michigan. Uh, but th nobody was like, you know, the Minnesota and Michigan were more like walk on like, Hey, you know, like we'd love to have you walk onto the team type yeah. type things. And then, um, uh, you know, and I don't blame them. I wasn't, I wasn't that great of a wrestler yet. Uh, and, um, some of these other schools like were a little bit more interested in me, Michigan state, you know, made a nice, nice offer to me, but I just, Cornell came in and just like connected with my family. They, you know, it was an Ivy league education. The network that they have there is, you know, the best network in the country. You know, you put yourself around people that have run businesses and, you know, deans of medical schools and, you know, that are the heads of hospitals and, you know, just yeah. like people that are just extraordinary. So um, it just ended up being the best place and best, best fit for me. And it's funny because you're now, I think, like the third guy who's been on this podcast that is in the small group of people. I think I, I got to have somebody do the research, but you're in that small group of people that won more NCAA titles than state titles. Because <laughs> yeah. I just told Chris Pendleton, I'm like, dude, you and Burroughs are both in that club. And I'm like, I wonder how many there are. I never think about it. But then as I was looking, I'm like, man, Gabe's another guy who somehow won more NCAA championships and state championships. And, you know, you're I, I want to say it was your junior year. You wrote did the, the letter to wrestling or letter to yourself before the finals. And yep. I was rewatching that yesterday and this is one of the things you said to yourself. 
you were a kid that failed throughout your journey to success. Failure is something that's been a big part of your life, and the reason you are successful is because you failed so many times. I want to talk about that for a few minutes because so many people talk about how you can still learn from winning, and I agree with that, but it's almost like learning from failure has become cliche to the degree where it's like it's almost so obvious people don't do it. I'm curious what your failures were and how you learned from them. So, you know, I had I had a guy on, a, on my podcast, his name is Jim Harshaw, and he's all about this failure through success. He's a TEDx speaker, and, you know, his he has a philosophy, and he helps, like, CEOs and professional athletes and all these kind of people, you know, as a consultant for, you know, failure through success is what he calls it. And yeah. we were talking, and I same kind of thing. I, like, I started to kind of reflect back on, you know, my career and, like, you know, just, like, all the failures. And it is it has become a cliche saying, you know, like, yeah. you know, success right but the reason it's cliche is because it's true like yep. you know people can say yeah you learn from winning i don't disagree with that but when do you really dig deep the most like when do you really do a lot of self-reflection when do you really evaluate you know the most about yourself well it's when you fail like because yep. it hurts it's painful you know yep. it, it, it it hits you right here and that's why like it's become a cliche saying because when you fail you really go into kind of a dark place and you really have a decision to make every time it's like yeah. well i'm either just gonna give up or i'm gonna you know i'm gonna get better from this i'm gonna use it i'm gonna uh, you know adjust and i'm gonna get better from it so for me like <laughs> i've lost on every big stage in all the sports that i played countless times uh made mistakes so many mistakes like i mean when i was in high school i lost in the football side in the state championships as a team I lost in the finals as an individual in wrestling and state championship. I lost in the team state championship in wrestling in Michigan. I got to college. My first year in college, I never won an open tournament when I was taking a gap year. I never placed, you know, I did a place at some of them. I went 0-2 at my first college open. Um, I went through every freshman experience where you're getting your butt kicked every day, day in and day out. Um, you know, like, and then, but the thing is, is like, when you fail and you and you really get to those low points, you really reevaluate this one thing, and it's really your purpose. You know, like yeah. you go back to like what gets you out of bed every day, and like you you got to reevaluate like why you're doing it. Because if you're not clear about your why, then you feel almost lost. So for a young person to go through so many different failures and continue to reevaluate like why you're doing it. And finally get to like the right place where he needs to be is a very healthy process. So I got into college and I went 0-2 at my first college open, the Buffalo Open. doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I remember I called my dad and I was like, dad, this just isn't for me, man. Like I, I need to – I think I'm going to walk onto the football team at Cornell and I just – I don't know why I'm doing this. And he said, yeah, that's your problem, son. You don't know why you're doing it. Yeah. And he goes, and you, you know, if you still hate it by the end of the year, we can talk about, you know, going a different direction, but you need to finish this year out. And he goes, but I really want to th want you to think about what you just said. Like, I want you to go to bed tonight. I want you to call me to sometime tomorrow and think about like why you're doing this. And I kind of realized that I was kind of approaching the sport with a chip on my shoulder, like, because sure. I hadn't, I hadn't been a big time recruit. There was a lot of guys that were better than me. So I was all about proving people wrong when I first got into you know, the room, when I first got it to Cornell. And when you come from a place and you're motivated by that, it's not, the mo it's not extremely, extremely healthy. Uh, you, know, it, it, you, you, you go 
it goes up and down a lot. You know, you're like one day you'll, and I thought I was working hard and I thought I was doing the right things. And I don't think I was doing wrong things, but I wasn't doing them from a more clear place. Yeah. What I realized was like, I, I had to make a decision whether I'm going to like love this and do this because I love it. Or if I'm doing it for like all these other external things, attention, motivation to prove people wrong, all these like negative things. And I decided like, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to, I'm going to love this sport. I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to have passion for it. I'm going to just maximize everything that's in my control to the, to what, to whatever that max is for me. I'm going to make sure that I eat right. I sleep right. I, I go, you know, hundred percent in my workouts and leave nothing behind. And I put all my focus there. And when I started to put my focus there, I never won an open tournament that first year, but, um, I started, I, I mean, I, I really found out. When like, did you beat much. Ed Ruth? Was it the next year? Cause you snapped his what? Like 84 matches or something. Yeah. Like? The, the following year I beat Ed Ruth, okay. but it was because I put this huge year of training in yeah. And I went through all these up and downs, ups and downs. I was learning how to be independent and I was figuring everything out. And then I got organized, like completely organized when I yeah. got into the Cornell system. Hey, my, I remember coming into the goal meet. We have a goal meet. Uh, we have, they give us goal sheet sheets and we come in and we meet with the staff. Yeah. And I remember coming in my freshman year at the right at the beginning, I got, I got my goal sheets and you know, it was like, what is your biggest goal? And my biggest goal was to make the starting lineup. I was like, I just want to start for the team. And I come in and I sit down with Damian Hahn and and Coach Cole and Mike Gray. And I go, and and Damian Hahn goes, well, like, Gabe, your goal needs to be bigger than this. Like, it needs to be bigger than this. So I go, all right, I want to be a national champ. You know, I jump right to it. And he goes, (laughs) and I remember him going, whoa, well, it also needs to be realistic, (laughs) you know. And uh, he's like, how about we say All-American? Because he's like, Ed Ruth is at your weight and – you know, he wasn't being a jerk by any means. Sure. He was just being realistic with my goals. And yeah. you know, obviously, like, I haven't even won an open tournament. You know, Millersville Open, Buffalo Open, all these, right. like, all the Cleveland State Open, you know, all these tournaments that, like, are, you know, it's they're not on that level. So yeah. for me to come and say that I want to be a national champ at Ed Ruth's weight class that's going to, you know, going for his third national title, hasn't lost in so long, was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh so I, um, I, I said, all right, I'll, I want to be an all, you know, I want to be an all American and he goes, okay, that's, that's better. And, uh, uh, so I made the starting lineup and then, uh, you know, just, I remember going into that match and Ed Ruth pinned me by the way, like at the Binghamton open, like first open that we wrestled in that year, pinned me in the finals. Um, ironically, actually I wrestled Nate Brown in the semifinals. It's a hell of an open tournament actually came to find out, but, uh, I, uh, <laughs> You know, I I wrestled Ed in the finals that tournament. He crossed face cradled me and pinned me like he did to everybody, and I was just so pissed. I didn't I I didn't expect to win at all. I just yeah. I didn't. I was like, God, there's one thing that I was not gonna let happen is like he's gonna pin me. <laughs> and so the next time we went into the final, like when we met in the Southern Scuffle, I remember Damien was like, you know, what what's your goal this match? And I'm like, I swear to God. He can tech me, major me, beat me. I don't care, but he is not going to pin me. He's not <laughs> going to pin me. And, uh, you know, it's funny. We talk about, like, how everybody wants to win and not lose so bad. But when you – and don't don't take it the wrong way, but when you don't care, and yeah. I don't mean like you don't care, but you just don't care about the outcome, yeah. uh, call it surrendering the outcome, 
you become pretty dangerous because yeah. you're not afraid of anything, yep. you know, you're, and, uh, sure enough, you know, I just, as the match went on, you know, I ended up, you know, obviously went in and it's kind of the first time that I became, uh, was that when you realized you could become an NCAA champion after that match? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I won, I won the tournament in Las Vegas and yep. beat like pretty highly ranked guys there, um, a couple weekends before, but yep. you know, it's still like it's it's ed roof you know like, right. you, you know this guy was this guy's a legend and yeah. um you know he uh when i beat him i was like all right like all right it's we can we can do this and then you know we obviously met up in the national semifinals that year and yeah. you know he beat me when it counted and uh you know i wish i, I would trade that i would trade those any day of the week <laughs> sure <laughs> and, it, and ended up uh winning his third national title and um you know but the thing about ed and you know, I, I always like to say this because, like, without Ed being Ed Ruth, you know, it doesn't give a chance for a young guy like me to, you know, m make a statement like that. And credit to Ed, you know, like, what a phenomenal athlete, phenomenal career, and um, just a great competitor and, and very respectful as well, you know, just like a good guy. So yeah. it always made it fun for, you know, that, that, that matchup. You know, we wrestled three times that year, and it was uh, I always nothing but respect to him. So. Yeah. Another thing you said in that letter to yourself was just to have the opportunity to compete as a privilege. And I'm always grateful that the more I talk to guys like yourself who really have a proper perspective, it helps me selfishly gain a proper perspective, like hearing it from so many people. And I think the listeners, too, and I'm curious, the more feedback I kind of get, people are starting to ask and wonder, well, how did he get that mindset or how did he get to that point? So I'm curious, when did you start really developing that belief that, hey, it's an opportunity or the opportunity to compete is a privilege. Like, when did you start developing that mindset? So there was a there was a young man um, from my hometown, really close family friend named Grant Pratt. He was uh, loved sports, loved football, loved wrestling, loved playing sports. And um, his older brother is a good friend with my older brother. And just they're all friends of the family. Yep. And um, when he was uh, he, he was young. He was diagnosed with uh, leukemia and, uh, you know, very, very impactful to my family and I just because we, you know, he's like a you know, like a little brother type. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I kind of saw firsthand what he had to go through uh, and obviously weren't in the question anymore during that time. And, you know, he, he was going through radiation and treatment and, you know, just for a 13, 14, 12 year old kid. You know, I can't remember exactly how old he was when he was diagnosed with it, but he, uh, you know, to see a kid go through that kind of puts everything in perspective for yeah. you. You know, when we lose in a wrestling match, it feels like the end of the world. You know, it feels like the, the, the world is crashing down and, and yeah. uh, <laughs> like everything is just terrible. But like when you see someone you love going through um, something that's life threatening and, you know, fighting every day, you kind of are like, you know, at the end of the day, this is just a sport. And. What are sports really for? Well, one, uh, they're a platform for, you know, and this is what I believe that, you know, and this is how what Grant helped me kind of realize when I was watching him go through this was they're a platform for us to teach kids, you know, the, the most valuable things in life um, and, you know, build their, you know, build their character. So my parents approached it that way. And, you know, when I was watching Grant go through his leukemia treatments, I was like, you know, and he was telling me, you know, I'd, you know, you'd be talking, you know, phone calls or texts, and 
he was like, you know, like the things that I've learned in wrestling and football up to this point are helping me, you know, fight through these treatments and this radiation and stuff like that. And I'm, I was like, you know, like sports really are just a, a tool. They're, they're a tool at the end of the day to build young people's character. And when, you know, they asked me to write a letter to myself, it was kind of in like, like that time, it was the peak time for a grant. And I remember uh, thinking to myself, you know, a guy like Grant Pratt would give anything just to be able to step on the field or step on the mat and just, yeah. and just be there, you know, with his team sure. and be able to compete, whether he won or lost or, you know, whatever happened, he would just, he would just love to be there right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just like the opportunity to compete at the level that I was competing at and, and wrestle for my second national title. I just, I felt extremely grateful for, and I felt like, you know, all of us need to come from a place of, you know, gratefulness and humbleness that we're able to do these things because there's kids like Grant Pratt out there that are going through, you know, leukemia treatments and, you know, don't have parents and are in foster homes. And, you know, like there's just way worse stuff going on out there. And for us to have the opportunity just to be out there and compete is uh, something that we all should be grateful for. So, you know, Grant, Grant really helped me understand that. And it's incredible that he's 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, you know, he was kind of teaching me in a way you know, like gave me a really newfound perspective on, on this whole, you know, what we do in sports. And it's funny because if you look at your career as a whole, like you can see the, the gratitude and you can see the, the, how many highs and lows are, especially in the sport. Like I didn't realize until again, I was going through your career. You won your, in both, in both high school and college, you won your junior year and then were runner up your senior year. And there's all these like highs and lows. Like, so even after being a state champion, then you get to college, it's a rough start. Then you have some big matches like your, your tournament in Vegas and beating Ed Ruth and all these things. I'm curious how you balanced those highs and lows. And if it was that gratitude that kind of helped you stay on that straight line of not getting too high after a national championship and not getting too low after, you know, there's nothing. And I hate asking that question with the degree of even being an NCAA finalist or a state finalist is insane. I couldn't even make those tournaments if my life depended on it. Right. But what, but when you're that good, you, your your expectation is, is for yourself is to win. So I, I know how devastating it is for for guys when they get to that point and lose. So I'm, I'm curious how you balanced all the highs and lows that the sport has thrown at you. Uh, I'm glad you I'm glad you asked the question because, um, you know, the uh, the most important thing is that, you know, life in general. Right. Is, you know, our heart, you know, I, I this is, might sound cheesy, but there's a reason that our heartbeat goes like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because life is that way. You know, yeah. our, our life life is always going to be that way. There's always going to be these really high moments and there's going to be really low moments. And, you know, when I was going through my career, you know, and I look back at my career, I never went. I never in one season ever in any sport went undefeated ever. Um, I, I never did. I never had an undefeated year and where, where I won. Um, so, you know, I look at that and how do you deal with those low moments? Well, it's all about your perspective, right? So, um, you know, when I was, when I was going through college, going through high school, um, the biggest thing for me was, and don't leave me, I'll be the first to say that, you know, like I, I struggled, you know, when I lost, don't get me wrong. Like sure. I, I wasn't just like, all right, well, <laughs> right. Okay, you know, yeah. you know? um, but the biggest thing for me and the reason why I chose Cornell and why I've been extremely blessed is because I've had wonderful mentors in my life, you know, like, um, you know, I like my my dad and my mom have always been kind of my my two heroes that have uh, 
that have you know really taken care of me and give you know always come from a place of unconditional love and support which when you're a kid you know and i see it all the time you know when i go you know i see dads that kind of place the emphasis on the wrong things with their kid yeah. you know you, you, the kid loses and the dad grabs them and comes down on him hard you know and says these awful things well i knew when i was a kid growing up that my parents, no matter what, uh, you know, they always reinforce the fact that they're, they unconditionally love me. So when you're a kid and you know that you can come home always to a safe environment, yeah. uh, it, 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 it makes you feel like you can take risks. Sure. Like you, you can put yourself out there. You can go for things, yeah. you can fail. And when, you know, going through and I did fail. And, but when I always came home, I always had like two arms, you know, you know, arms around me telling me that, Hey, like, it's a learning experience. Like we're going to get back from this and we're going to get, we're going to get better from this. And we're going to go back out there again and we're going to go again at it. And you know, you're, we're probably going to fail again, but it's okay. It's okay. And, um, you know, for kids that have parents that don't come from that place, they get, it just creates performance anxiety. Anyways, they get more, they get more nervous because they don't know if, you know, mom and dad are going to be happy with them. I can't imagine that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I, and I see that. And so having a, parents that reinforce unconditional love and support allows you as a kid and even as an adult to put yourself out there, you know, not be afraid of failure and to take risk. And when I was in college, Damian Hahn, Rob Cole, Mike Gray were like my parents away from home and they did the same thing. They reinforced that the same thing. You know, they, the reason I chose Cornell is because I knew that those guys would always unconditionally love and support me, no matter if I was a two-time national champ, or I was a four-string guy. Yep. Everybody at Cornell was treated the same, and it was one big family. And it was, you know, we all had each other's back at the end of the day, no matter what. So, when that, you know, when I was at Cornell and I was stepping on the mat every time, I could look over in my corner and I knew that those guys, whether I won, lost, no matter what, they had my back. Yep. And um, when you have that sort sort of security as as a young man and as a kid when you're developing, it allows you to go out and take risks so in the lows you know how i dealt with the lows i just knew that i had my mentors there and that, that we were going to come back from it and get back and, and be better from it you know and so and it obviously like the highs you know like nobody ever has any issues with the highs so it was fine when everything was going good but i've been blessed to have incredible mentors in my life so then you you do have a two national championship career three-time finals which is incredible and then after college, you didn't wrestle too much. You wrestled yep. Greco briefly. Um, talk to me about what went into that decision to wrestle just a little bit after college and, and not really wrestle too much more. So I grad when I graduated, um, and I lost in the finals to uh, to Bo, and uh, to, you know it was kind of a weird match. Uh, just like just kind of everything was weird. I knew I wasn't in a great sp- place going into that match. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't as excited for it as I was the first two. Like it was more like I was just coming from a place like I just need to get this forward with and win. Yeah. And um, that's obviously an issue. You know, you're <laughs> yeah. they make you the last match on Saturday night. You're in front of God and everybody. I mean, you're you're going for your third national title. If I won that match, I was probably going to win the Hodge Trophy. And um, you know, it's just like, why would you not be just so <laughs> jazzed up for that? You know, what sure. an opportunity. And I lost and then I graduated college and I was just kind of, I was lost, man. I mean, I, I'll be the first to say I was kind of in a, in a weird place. You know, I just, 
in the sport of wrestling, you know, even the lessons that I've been talking about that I learned along the way, you know, I had always been disciplined to everything in my control to ultimately be put myself in the best position to win a national championship. And when I got, when I got out of college, that wasn't there anymore. Like I, you know, and it was like, okay, well, I guess I got to do this international stuff. And I'd been convinced that, you know, like I could have a pretty, um, potentially a good career in Greco. Uh, but you know, I just came to find out in nothing against the Greco guys at all. Like I just didn't have the same passion for international wrestling in both Greco and freestyle, like I did for college wrestling. And then at the same time, my younger brother was stepping into the same school in the same weight class and starting his career. And um, my first year out of college, I mean, I was kind of a mess. I, I, I didn't have the right, I wasn't coming from the right place. I was making selfish decisions. I was affecting my relationships in a, in a negative way. Um, and it was all because I couldn't really figure out, you know, where, where I needed to put my purpose and where I needed sure. to put my clarity and my, and where I needed to like, you know, go. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to compete, but then again, I'm like, I'm a coach and I just, I was making, I was, I was selfish. I, you know, I guess like, you know, from college wrestling, you know, when you, you kind of breeds you to be a little bit of a selfish mindset to take yeah. care of yourself and all those things in your control kind of puts you in the best position to win. And if you win, you take care of your team. Right. So I get done with that year. And I've definitely negatively affected my relationship with my brother. And my brother is my best friend in the whole world. And we've always been so close. And we're, uh, you know, it hit me like how, you know, I, I was home one day and my dad, again, my dad and my mom and I were talking and I was, I was about to make another really selfish, selfish decision. And my dad put his arm around me. And told me that he was disappointed of the man that I was becoming. And when a guy that you look up to so much says that to you, and he didn't yell at me, he didn't, yeah. you know, he didn't scream at me, he just kind of like grabbed me and was like, listen, Gabe, I'm, I'm disappointed of the man that you're becoming, the choices that you're making. And it was just like that. And it just like, it felt like someone took a baseball bat and just wound up and smoked me in the face. Yeah, And it made me reflect on like all my purpose, the decisions that I was making similarly to like when I went on to at my first college open, you know, sure. I made me like dig, do, do some deep reflection. And I was like, you know what, you know what my biggest issue is, is that I'm in a profession and that is completely a selfless job coaching. And I'm coming from a selfish place. And I had a decision to make, and I think as you go through your life, your purpose, re you reevaluate your purpose, and you, and, sure. you, and, and it was the decision to make right then and there whether I was going to live a life of service or I was going to continue to go down this very, very negative, bumpy road and live for myself. Yeah. And when I decided to put my faith in living a life of service, not only did it just blossom my career and make me much better a person but it also it also just made all my relationships so much better yep. uh, like we're put on this we're, you know now and you know like my i think I'll, I'll probably die with this purpose that i have now and this clarity but like when you live a life of service you're you become everything else becomes easy and yep. your relationships are great and you know your coach and your career takes off and 
you know, you meet so many wonderful people and you're coming from this place of selflessness and, uh, you know, thank God again for my mentors and my, you know, my lows that I was experiencing for me to be able to figure that out. And, um, with, you know, and my brother and I, I came back this, that following year. And then obviously, you know, my, my, I became a much better person that I, the person that I needed to be for not just the program and the team, but also, you know, for my relationship with my brother and my family. So did that help your transition from athlete to coach finding your kind of purpose and and adjusting that way? It helped my clarity a lot. It, 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 you know, like it was like, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to wrestle in the international styles. It's just like, it's just not the cards for me. And you know, this is going to be, I'm going to, we have an opportunity here with our Cornell team. If I'm in the right place, if I'm coaching constantly, if I'm not focused on me anymore, that we could probably do some really special things. And, uh, so it was just like, it helped me like clear all that up. It's like, okay, it's not about me anymore at all. I don't even, you know, and then I came to figure out that, you know, when you coach guys and you're helping guys and then they go out and they accomplish, you know, some of their goals, it was like, whoa, this is a way better feeling than, yeah. than even when I won a national title. You know, like I was like the feeling that I felt for when my brother like beat Miles Martin in the semifinals or Ben Hannes became an All-American, Yanni won his first national title, even though I don't, you know, obviously I don't work with Yanni too much on the technical side. He's just like uh, him and Mike Gray and Kyle Day yeah. uh, have this great coaching relationship. But even when those guys, you know, the part of our my family that I feel like, you know, this Cornell family, when those guys go out and accomplish those things, it's a way better feeling than anything that I've ever accomplished in my life. Like I, and it's like, okay, yeah, like this is what I'm supposed to do. If that's the case, then why, you know, I'm definitely not going to compete anymore. It's about right. these guys. And when I started to feel that way, I was like, all right, I'm in the right place. We're in the, we're, we're going to the right direction. And, um, you know, it just helped, it helped my, my whole life career, you know, personal life, my relationships, everything become a whole lot better. And it seems like you're in such a great place now where, you know, you, you wrestled for Cornell. You're like, you just, your passion that you just described sets the tone perfect for how you feel about Cornell. What are your coaching aspirations moving forward? Do you want to be a head coach of a program or do you? Yeah. You know, yeah, I would. I would, uh, you know, I, I would love to be a head coach. I, uh, I would love to, you know, run my own program based upon just everything that I've learned so far. Um, yeah. I'm blessed to work under one of the, one of the greatest college wrestling coaches of all time and Rob Cole, you know, and what he's been able to do at Cornell for the past, he's going to go on his 32nd year of coaching there wow. this next year. And, uh, just how he runs it and, you know, how he's had to take something that was literally nothing um <laughs> yeah. at the beginning and, and build it into what it is today and then also guys being around guys like mike gray who is our associate head coach who is so good at all the things that he does and and learning from him and you know just being in the room with these just incredibly gifted athletes and you know from the recruiting side you know you know going after and get some getting a lot of high level guys and putting together great recruiting classes year after year um you know, I've just learned so much. And, you know, in Cornell, it's different. You know, we, we have to run it more like a business comparatively to some of these other schools because we don't have a $150 million athletic athletic department budget. Right. We don't have we can't get everybody into school. Um, we, we we don't have scholarships, you know, like it's all financial aid. So it's it's like you have to really, really work extremely hard at your job. And, re- and I'm not saying these other coaches don't, I'm the, uh, the, the oh, coaches yeah. at, at all. I'm just saying, like, it's just different at Cornell 
and it teaches you a lot of things when you're under these circumstances, I guess I would say, and how to run a program. So I'm very grateful that I, that Rob Cole and our athletic director, Andy Noel, gave me the opportunity to coach and, and be on the staff. And, and one more wrestling topic, and then I want to talk about your podcast. You know, you talk about what Rob Cole's been able to do there, and you talk about the talent that's at Cornell right now. How excited are you for next year? I mean, the, the roster for next year is just stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're really excited. Um, we feel like, you know, we've we put together a hell of a team, um, you know, and obviously the biggest thing is, like, there's a lot of hype. Right. Like, you know, when you're seeing all these things come out on flow and all this different media media services, it's like, you know, Cornell's been talked about a lot, you know, and the kind of team that we're going to have. But the biggest thing for us is to stay focused on what's in our control and obviously not get too big, caught up in the hype and just focus on development, you know, and obviously still going out and putting together great recruiting classes and, you know, fundraising the right way and doing all the things the right way. I mean, we like I said, like every successful program never they never get caught up in the hype i mean i don't know yeah. if you ever watch bill belichick you know, he never gets caught up in his own hype he's just focused on what he's, he's got to do every single day. <laughs> yeah i mean yeah but the guy's successful year in year out because he's just focused on everything that's in his control and doing it the best to, to the best of his ability and that's exactly yeah. what we have to do you know and we're excited for the opportunity to have such a great team and compete to win a team national title and in, in, inside the next few years and hopefully just put a streak together i mean and continue to develop these great recruits that we're getting and these great kids that we have, you know, it's, it's the best culture that I've ever seen at Cornell in terms of like the team and the way that they act as a family and, and the way that they engage with each other. And yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're definitely excited. And, and just to give credit to this, this year, this past year's team, you know, we Olympic redshirted our, our three, you know, obviously got three guys that ranked or that are ranked top three in the country. And, um, we Olympic redshirted them and this past team that we had this year, you know, even though it wasn't maybe our, our best year, but they completely exceeded any expectations. You know, we had eight national qualifiers. We took second in our conference. Um, and just, and some of these guys, and I so wish that they were able to wrestle in that tournament. Um, and I, my heart breaks for them and everybody really, but it was, uh, you know, it just showed how special the group of guys really is, you know, Mac, Gianni, and Vito and these guys that were taking Olympic red shirts were right by all these guys aside the whole year, cheering them on. Like, you know, and it was just like, there's no egos, there's no clicks. It's everybody's in it together. And I think that's why we were able to have like the success at the end of the year that we did. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You can see that. I mean, when I was looking, I was getting the graphics ready for this episode of the podcast, and I had I had seen the picture of you after winning the championship in 2016, and you hugging Mike Gray, and you can see just the passion, like for everybody in that program, win or loss, you see the fellowship you guys have, and it's definitely noticeable from the outside. But last thing I want to talk about here, you know, so you've got your new podcast, and you're absolutely killing it. And as a marketing guy, I can so appreciate the effort that goes into not only the <laughs> fact that you're doing it, but the amount of episodes you're putting out right now is just – it's incredible. So tell me about why you started the podcast and what you're doing with it. Well, quite honestly, so first of all, I just want to state that I there's no way I could have started this podcast without um, uh, my team. And I have three people that I'm working with right now that just – they're incredible. We have Dan Flanick, who is my kind of my co-host and produces and edits the podcast himself and does all the website design. His wife is incredibly gifted with drafting emails and putting together those things. And then we have this other this other guy named Marcus McClanahan that 
is amazing at, you know, the video design and graphic design and all that kind of stuff. So first of all, I just want to say there's no way that I could be doing this without those three other people. Um, the second thing is, is we kind of, me and Dan Flanick, so Dan Flanick is a certified strength and conditioning coach. He got his master's degree from Baylor, worked in their strength and conditioning program when like RG3 was there and, these, you know, they had these top five teams. And he interned at Cornell before he went down to Baylor when I was in college. So we became friends then. He helped yep. me a lot. You know, I was, I'm a big weight room guy, and I think the weight room's great for development of just all athletes. So he helped me a lot when he was interning, and he's an incredibly gifted, insightful guy. And uh, we always kind of knew that we wanted to work together in some capacity just because our values always aligned. Yep. And we just, like, we just enjoyed each other's co- company. He's a great friend of mine now. And um, – we always stayed in touch. Well, when this whole quarantine thing hit, we, I was like, we always talked about this idea of starting a podcast and we're like, Hey, let's just like, let's start a podcast. Like, and for fun, you know, go out and get some really cool guests and, you know, put them on and like, just get to know these people. And, you know, it'd be a great learning experience for us. And it will also, you know, we'll provide free content for anybody that just, you know, is sitting around at home right now and, you know, trying to serve them. So, we started doing it and, you know, we we're like, we were doing it for fun. And then it was like, all right, well, it's starting to pick up kind of a following. And then it started to pick up more of a following. And we're like, well, this is actually like really enjoyable. And the, and the guests that we've had on, it's just been like, it's awesome. You know, yeah. we have, you know, Mike Novogratz was on, Joe DeSena was on, we've had Matt McDonough and, you know, all these, like, we had this kid uh, that we released on Monday, this uh, Zach Anglin, who was born without hands and feet and was, you know, was a two-time placer in Wisconsin, started wrestling in eighth grade, and now he's the first quad amputee commercial pilot in the world, confirmed, you know, it's just like these people that are incredible, and I'm just, I'm always just trying to learn and, you know, take things from everybody and that, you know, that I can to apply them to my own life, so the podcast was really just created out of a fun, you know, learning experience place for me, and now it's kind of picked up a good following, and I'd don't plan to stop it because I'm enjoying it so much. (laughs) That's what happened with mine. Like I, I've been telling people, I feel like starting a podcast now is like the equivalent of 20 years ago, starting a band where everybody's like, Hey, we should start a band. Now everybody says to each other, you know, we should start a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. And I've been preaching to all my clients. Like you should, you should 100% have a podcast based on whatever you do. And I think it not only brings awareness to what you do personally, but it is, dude. I all I've been involved in the sport, helping guys build websites and helping them with social media strategies and everything for the last decade. Guys like Cal Sanderson and Jordan Burroughs, and I've developed such friendships with them that I get to have so many good conversations. And unless I worked with somebody, I didn't get to have that many more conversations. Like without this podcast, you and I are never having this conversation. Correct. And there's so many conversations that the podcast just opens the door to where yes. it's like when I asked you the one question about how did you develop the mindset? It's it's not only for the audience listening, it's for me too. I get to take yeah. that and apply it to my life. Like, one, one, 100%. That's the thing. That's exactly why I started mine. And I think that's like every good business or any good company starts out of just like solving a problem or doing it because they're passionate about it. Yeah. And then it turns into something great. And, uh, you know, obviously like yours, your podcast does extremely well. Well, you started it because you just wanted to learn. Like everything that I've learned in my life, I'm a definitely a learn through experience type guy. You know, I Same. read books, I do that yeah. kind of stuff too. But the things that impact me the most and have changed me the most are just through my experiences and the people that I've met along the way. 
So I was like, this podcast thing is perfect. And yes, I'm doing it to provide content for people at home that just want to listen to just these incredible people speak and get some insight into their life. But like, I'm sitting there and I'm talking to these guys and I'm just like, oh yeah, definitely going to take that. Definitely going right. to use that. Definitely going to approach it like that. You know, like there's, there's so many things. I mean, I, I've been writing notes as I, I, I write notes as I'm doing these and yeah. I'm like, there's so, I have like three pages already of just stuff that I'm like, I'm definitely going to use this to help me become a better coach. I'm definitely going to use this to, in this moment when one of my guys is struggling, you know, and, and, yeah. and draw from like this person's experience, you know, it's just like really cool stuff that I'm just learning just along the way that I just, that's why I think I love it the most. Yeah. Um, and I just have the right people behind me. Like, like I said, these three people that are doing it with me that are just wonderful and I wouldn't be able to do it without them. So I think it's cool to open connections too. Like I saw you're going to have on, um, what's, what's his name? Josh, uh, Hoskett. Yeah. Josh. Jo yeah. Yeah. So He's it's just, like, uh, how cool is that? Like I saw that take place on Twitter. I'm like, man, this is what I love about where we are. You can, people can crap on social media all they want. The fact that you can reach out to a guy who just got drafted in the NFL to have him on to talk about that. Like, that's so cool. And that's yeah, now a yeah. new, new opportunity for you to not only learn from him, not only bring that content to people, you now have the relationship. You yeah. Know, there's yeah. That, like, exactly. He said, you can, you can say that social media is bad, yeah. but it's only bad if you approach it from the wrong place. Yeah. You know, if you're like, if you're just trying to gain attention and, you know, just putting stuff out there like that about yourself, then it, yeah, it is. It's probably not the most healthy thing, but if you're using it to, you know, help others and give a platform for other people and, you know, promote, you know, other people and also using it to connect and develop relationships and broaden your network so that you can get to know people better, then it's yeah. a great thing. I mean, like there's a lot of stigma around social media and how it's impacted our world. But if you use it and come from the right place, then it's a great it's a great resource. Yeah. And the fact that you can take these relationships and now bring them offline, like you can take a relationship with a guy like Josh that you're going to have a conversation with. And then take that offline. And maybe now that can be a resource for you for Cornell or for when if you go get a job somewhere as a head coach, like for you to build that arsenal because of the podcast. That's why I recommend I'm like anybody who and it's not hard these days to start a podcast. Like I'm trying to learn how to do it as I go as professionals. I have the sign, the mic. I, I'm trying to learn to make it as good as I can. But it's not hard. You can if you have an iPhone, literally, if you have an iPhone, you can create a podcast yeah you if you, you don't need i mean you you have a real legit setup over there and actually we're working towards that but we uh we you don't need like right any fancy material i mean you need a pair of headphones and like you know a, a computer or an iphone and you're good to go i mean you can yeah. just you can record and, and get after it and uh yeah i encourage everybody the same like i've had a couple buddies that are like hey dude like yeah you you kind of you know you've inspired me to start my own i'm like hell yeah go for it man. right like awesome you know like Go do it. It's great. You know, and we're still in the beginning stages. I mean, uh, and but it's a lot of fun. Like we're enjoying like building the following, building the marketing. And like you said, like you're a, you're a marketing guy and, and you built relationships through this through this whole experience. I mean, it, and you started yours in August and uh, look how yours has taken off. So it's just like if you come from the right place and you and you're, you're coming from, you know, just trying to learn and, and and get to know people and you're you're starting the podcast through that place and it'll end up being you know, fairly successful because it's, you're, you're doing it to serve. I, you know, like I said, I believe that that's the way that life should be. And if you're coming from a place of service. Anything usually turns out to be pretty good. So especially I'm sure you're getting the same message as I do, which is you'll put an episode out 
And I love the stats and the analytics and, you know, I'm competitive, so I want to grow the podcast as much as I can. But, man, when I get just one message that says, hey, that conversation you had where Mark Hall talked about his faith, I never heard that before. Thank you so much for putting that out. Me and my kids listen to it. That's the best. Like anything else, nothing triumphs that. And and to be able to do something like that, that, you know, it's you can go out and win a national championship and inspire people that takes 15 years to do, but to be able to just have a podcast, make the connection and do that, like to be able to use that and, and get that kind of influence out there. Yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible. Well, you know, the, the national championships and the things that we accomplish as athletes um, in return should be used as a platform to bring other people up. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that, you should just stand on top of the podium and just, you know, be like me, 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 me. It's like, okay, I'm on top of the podium. Well, how did I get here? Well, everybody else that helped me. So let's just bring everybody up too and, you know, expose their stories, talk to them, you know, get other, you know, without, without people like, without people like Mike Novogratz, like what would our international development be? You know, like he's a huge philanthropist. He supports USA wrestling. Like there's just like, it's not about us at the end of the day. Like yeah. the, we're representations of so many different people that have helped us get there. So it's just, you know, it, why would, why would you not bring those people up? Yeah, for sure, man. Well, listen, I'm going to let you go continue about your day. I appreciate you. I know you're making, you're, you're recording a lot of episodes, so I know you're doing the same thing I am. So I appreciate you taking the time to be on mine. <laughs> hey, thanks for having, having me on. It's uh, It was a pleasure and it was great to be, uh, be on your podcast, man. I'm honored. Of course. So. And for everybody listening, I'm going to, I'm going to link up his podcast in the description likely, but it it's the, the Dean's List talk show is the name of it. It's on all the platforms, Apple, Spotify, all that good stuff. So go listen to that. And Gabe, we will talk soon. Thank you again, man. Thanks. Thanks a ton, brother. I appreciate it. You got it. it. See ya. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you did enjoy this episode of the podcast, be sure to leave a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on more episodes. For more wrestling content, be sure to follow Bash Mania on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And follow me. I'm at jbash on Instagram and at justinjbash on Twitter. I'll be back with another episode shortly. See ya. And the beat goes on.